Roberts Liardin, Oklahoma, USA, 1986. Introduction. Here is the seventh reissue of this book. When the Lord first entrusted me with the task of writing this book on heaven, He told me to use it as a tool of evangelization and to disseminate it as widely and as quickly as possible. Over the past four years, over 75,000 copies have been printed in multiple languages. They have been spread in several nations of the world. This little book has literally changed lives. Many were able to enter the kingdom of God because they read this book and passed it on to others. Many received the healing, or other miracles that they needed. Importantly, as they read this book, people began to experience for themselves what it means to walk in the realm of the Spirit. Since reading this book, the realm of the Spirit has become more real for many people than ever before. The experience of my life is not limited to my trip to heaven, although this is a very important event in my life which took place in a completely supernatural way. It happened by a sovereign decision of God. I didn't do anything to make it happen. I didn't deserve it by virtue of my super-spirituality or for some other reason. When this trip to heaven took place, I was only eight years old at the time. I repeat, this experience was sovereignly decided by God. There is only one reason I wrote this book. I told this story because God asked me to. For several years, I didn't say a word to anyone about my visit to heaven. I was almost scared to reveal to anyone that Jesus had taken me to heaven, because at the time, I had no idea why He had given me this experience. Now I know. The purpose for which He wants this story to be known is to encourage and exhort others to walk close to God and thus be able to experience the realm of the Spirit in turn. He didn't tell me to preach this story or teach it. He only said to me, tell me about it. So I just tell it, He does the rest. It is not for me to convince you of the truth of this story. I just encourage you to read it and receive what the Spirit brings to you through it. God wants His people to walk continually in the realm of the Spirit. Your natural thinking resists the things of the Spirit because it wants everything explained to it. But your thinking will not be able to explain everything you will experience in the realm of the Spirit. Thought is thus made, it is its nature. This is why the Bible says in Romans 12, 2, Do not conform to the present world, but be transformed by the renewal of the mind so that you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, pleasant and perfect. As you renew it, your mind will align with the Spirit of God and with your own spirit. You will then be able to walk in the realm of the Spirit without your intelligence takes you back to its natural ways of thinking and acting. A life or ministry built on carnal methods will never experience the best from God. Now, God wants each of us to experience His fullness in the realm of the Spirit. The main reason that prevents people from experiencing the divine realm of the Spirit in its fullness is that they act carnally. But, as you walk close to God, you live and serve Him in His fullness. This is what will make your Christian life and your ministry successful. Many times all people want from me is to tell them about my heavenly journey. Some even, when they invite me to preach, specifically ask me to speak about it. What they really want are sensational stories without more. It is regrettable. God, to be sure, is far from being limited to sensationalist stories. We cannot live sensational, spectacular or experiences whether they are yours or those of another. You cannot ride the anointing rocket and live on its shine, and thus hope to walk in the Spirit in a lasting way. This is why I have changed the content of this book somewhat from the original. I added other things about my life and my ministry before and after my trip to heaven. I haven't built my life or my ministry on a one-time experience and I want no one else to, for that matter. In its current form, this book shows a bit of my life before I went to heaven and how it has continued since. If your life or ministry is based on experience, you will never get there. You will be what I call a believer or a rocket preacher. Rocket people soar to their zenith of fame and popularity dizzyingly, make a lot of noise, 
explode and then disappear into the atmosphere forever. They appear and disappear just as. Suddenly and you never hear from them again. So much the better. Your life must be built on the sure foundation of the Word of God. Before I even went to heaven, my life was built on the solid foundation of the Word of God. Even today, I build on it. I still stay in the Word because Jesus is not done with me yet. I still have a lot to do for Him on this earth. Some of these things He showed me in heaven, He has since revealed others to me. And now let me tell you what heaven is like. My prayer and my heart's desire is that this book, as you read it, will bring you closer to God than ever. I am confident that He will challenge you, inspire you, motivate you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. The Kingdom of God is reality. God is alive. It is real. You can walk with Him and talk to Him in the realm of the Spirit. You can experience God in all of His fullness. Be hungry and thirsty and you will live it. God bless you. At His service. Roberts Liarden. I grow up with God. I grew up knowing God intimately. God was part of our daily family life. I don't remember a single moment when I was without God. He was everything to me, but above all He was my Father. As a child, I always wanted to have a father. My parents divorced when I was very young. I never blamed them for having divorced. I knew there were issues and they weren't happy together. It was hard to see my dad leaving us but I knew we had God and he would bring us out of tough times. We didn't complain, we didn't cry, we didn't moan, saying, Oh. God, why us? How could you allow this to happen to us? We didn't whisper or grumble, we didn't lay on the floor, waiting for death. It was as if we had only heaved a deep sigh once and then moved on knowing that God was with us. Having had no natural father for many years, my dependence on God as my father grew stronger and stronger. Believe me, we had to depend on God in all things. We had nothing when Papa left. In those days, everything was in the name of the husband. When Papa left, our electricity and gas did the same. Everything was cut off, and we were forced to find another place to live. A spirit of poverty was truly attached to my family. We were poor, poor, poor. It was just if we could do it. I remember going to school wearing a very light jacket in the dead of winter. We just didn't have enough money to buy a warm winter coat. It was a big celebration for us to go out and eat. We were going to McDonald's, obviously. We couldn't afford to go anywhere else. They once got our order wrong so they brought us another whole menu for free. We rejoiced and thanked God that we did not have to pay. Everyone was looking at us like we were crazy, but it was a great miracle for us at the time. We knew God provided for our needs and would not let us starve. He didn't, by the way. God has always provided. However poor we were materially, we were no less rich spiritually. We prayed and God provided. One of my first answered prayers that I remember was when my mother found work. My grandmother had received in a vision that mom was finding a job in Bixby, Oklahoma. We prayed about it and claimed this employment by faith. Certainly, mom obtained the place of science teacher at the local high school. Another answered prayer from this time was about a house. My sister Sissy and I were praying for our own little house. We were like most children. We wanted a garden to play in, a nice neighborhood and a place to ride a bicycle. We prayed specifically for these things. One day, I was about seven years old, we drove to see a house in Tulsa. We prayed that she would be ours. In the natural, it was impossible. But before we realized it, we were in the process of moving into this house. It was again a prayer answered by our God who answers prayer. Prayer Fights I saw a lot of answered prayers when I was a little boy. It was not something unusual for me. It was normal too. Pray and see God answer prayers. Never did a thought come to me that He wouldn't do it. I just expected Him to hear them.
I began to have my own prayer fights at a very early age. I was very little when grandma gave me a basic education in the things of God. Mom was working, so grandma took care of us during the day. The training she gave me produced in me a disciplined prayer life. When grandma left for about two years, then I began to carry my own burden with God. I could no longer hold on to the cords of grandmother's spiritual apron. It was then that I really began to fight my own battles in prayer. One of those battles was to have a father. We had not had a father for several years and, in those days, coming from a home with divorced parents was a real blemish. Today, we seem to accept this kind of case much better, but at the time divorced people were not very well received. Not more than their children, unfortunately. As a result, I had few friends growing up. God was my friend. We loved family gatherings because everyone accepted and loved us, even though we were a broken home. We had God and our family, and whatever the rest of the world thought of us, we knew we would get there. Praying and going to church made us move forward in strength. We prayed together all the time and we were at church whenever the doors were open. My mother began to attend a Sunday school teacher at our church. Sissy and I liked him and were very happy to see mom start dating him. We redoubled our fervor in our prayers for a father. I will never forget the moment I found out they were getting married. We were eating pizza in a neighborhood restaurant. We had just finished eating and Fred leaned over the table and asked me, what would you think if I married your mother? Very calmly, I replied, I would like it. I kept an outside calm, quiet, and no way disturbed, although inside I jumped for joy and trembled. I knew it was God and I exulted, it was a great day when I accompanied mom down the central aisle of the church and led her to Fred. Once again, I saw God answering our prayers in a wonderful way. It was funny growing up with a God who answered prayers like that. Every week, every Friday night, we had a prayer meeting at our house. My mother and a few of her friends came with all of their children. Then, all together, mothers and children, we prayed, prayed, prayed. We were really looking forward to these Friday night prayer meetings. It was the highlight of the week. We never did monotonous and sleepy prayers either. When we prayed, we thundered like cannons. One night, the man behind our house called the police and complained about us. He was always looking for ways to bother and intimidate us. He figured, I guess, this one was going to stop us at last. He was wrong. Our prayer was storming when the police knocked on our door. My mother got up and went to answer. What are you doing in there? They asked. We just pray, she replied firmly. They turned around and we resumed our prayer as if nothing abnormal had happened. No one had cried out, oh no, it's the police. We had better stop praying. In fact, to the best of my recollection, we didn't stop praying for a moment even when the police stood on our doorstep. For us the whole world could jump, and we would have continued to pray anyway. We thought prayer was serious. These meetings always lasted between one and three hours. Usually it was more like three o'clock. No one was in a hurry to get home. We loved to stay in the presence of God, to fight in prayer. When we finished praying, the night the police knocked on our door, we had a good laugh. Yes, we took God seriously in my family. I was more serious about God when I was five years old than most people are when I was 50. I grew up loving God and the church. We went to church because we wanted to go, not because we were forcibly dragged there. I've noticed that most of the kids today reluctantly go to church. I pity the children of today who are forced to go to church. They live in a war atmosphere all week at home. When Sunday arrives, everyone puts on their best clothes, puts a smile on their face, then everyone goes to church arguing with each other all the way. Many times these are the kids who grow up hating the church and refusing to go because the church is only made for hypocrites. Can we condemn them? Fortunately, our family was not like that. 
We loved the church. It was a joy for us to go there. The Christian character was something that was experienced with us every day of the week, from morning to night. Going to church was only a natural extension. I'm not saying we were perfect, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But we loved God and everything to do with Him. I was far from perfect when I was a little boy. There were times when I needed to be corrected. But whenever it happened, it always happened in love. Usually this was when I wasn't praying or reading my Bible the way I should. Prayer and reading the Bible were daily duties in our home. You could not fail in these duties, otherwise. Sometimes, however, stubbornness would take hold of me and I would rebel saying, I don't feel the urge to pray now. I don't want to read my Bible now. So I received a good beating that I perfectly deserved from the rest. Correction will keep the child's madness away, the Bible teaches us, Proverbs 22:15. It's stupid not to want to read your Bible every day. From the Bible you will get wisdom and knowledge from God, Psalm 119. Today I am thankful for the discipline in which I was brought up in God. I might not always have liked her back when I was growing up, but now I know it was for my own good. I was brought up in discipline in prayer, discipline in the daily study of the Word of God. In fact, it was while I was sitting down for my daily Bible reading that I was taken to heaven. I walked the streets of heaven. We must boast, this is not good. However, I will come to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who was, 14 years ago, delighted to the third heaven, if it was in his body I do not know, if it was outside his body I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man, whether it was in his body or without his body, I don't know, God knows, was taken up into paradise, and he heard wonderful words that it is not permitted to one. Man to express, 2 Corinthians 12, 1-4. When I was eight years old, I entered my room one day to read four chapters of the Gospel of John. I always read four chapters of the Bible a day so that I could read the entire Bible over a year. I had been taught to include this in my daily routine. I wasn't super spiritual or praying with great intensity, or anything like that. I simply walked into my room and, and sat on a corner of my bed, ready to read. Suddenly, a supernatural force of attraction enveloped me. I felt lifted up. My next finding was that I was out of my room. I thought, this is it. It's the rapture. It finally happened. I was all excited and started to look around. I looked to my right and then to my left. I noticed that there was no one else around me. I thought, no, that can't be the rapture. If that was it, there would be someone else here. I had no idea where I was going, but I was traveling at an amazing speed. I escaped out of the atmosphere. Terrestrial, this is what Paul calls the first heaven. As I moved around, I began to hear a distant ticking sound in my ear. This ticking was getting louder and louder. Within seconds, it exploded in my ears like a bomb that exploded. As this explosion sound occurred, I crossed what I call the line of trust and entered the world of spirit. The reason why I call it a line of trust is, because, as soon as I have crossed it, all the doubt, the concern and, the fear of the world, all that is not of God, it all got loose from me and stayed on the other side of that line and I left it behind. Then I continued in a perfect state of well-being, happiness and faith. We must learn to live on the other side of this line of trust with God. It would make life so much more fun and enjoyable. Shortly after crossing this line, I landed. The biggest door I have ever seen in my life was staring right in my face. It was very wide and very tall. The door was made of only one pearl. It did not have a single cut or a single defect. She had such a glow that she almost hurt her eyes. The edges of the door had a carved pattern, but the rest was just a dazzling, resplendent whiteness. I shook myself, wondering if I wasn't dreaming. 
I tried to recognize with my means where I could be. You see, your soul is with you in the world of the Spirit. This is why it is so important that you renew your thinking so that you are able to be in the flow when you are in the realm of Spirit. I was standing in front of the door, wondering what was going on. Remember I was just a little boy when all this is. Come. I saw things through the natural eyes of any eight-year-old boy. My vision was made of total wonder and childlike faith. I had no idea what was going on. I don't know what concerns you, but my Sunday school teacher never taught that you can go to heaven and come back. I didn't know you could get a round-trip ticket. I had always believed that you made the trip only one way and that at the end of your life. If the Apostle Paul had been my Sunday school teacher, I would have been better informed. He knew a man who went there and came back. Paul was not the only person to go there and back, the Apostle John also did so in the book of Revelation. I touched the door and finally came to the conclusion that I was there, wherever there might be, and that I wasn't dreaming. Suddenly my ears caught these words, this is one of the doors. A clarity began to come into my being, and as I looked into that clarity, I saw Jesus standing in her midst. He was there, in all His glory. It's one thing to see Jesus, but it's quite another to see Jesus in His glory and honor. It was impressive. This is how I saw Him. He was between 1.80 meters and 2.10 meters. Her hair appeared to be chestnut blonde. Maybe they were darker, but the glory shone all over His person so much that it was difficult to say exactly. He is a man of great strength. He has muscles and looks like a very strong man. When you look at him, you know he has power. He's a perfect man. He is perfect in everything. His appearance, the way he speaks, his walk, everything is perfect. Divinity emanates from him. That's how I remember him. I looked at Jesus and that glory that surrounded him enveloped me and pushed me to the ground. My knees wobbled. Torrents of water rose in me and came out in the form of tears. I couldn't have held them back even if I wanted to. Tears started to stream down my face and I fell to my knees crying. The glory of God will make you cry in His presence. Jesus bent down and touched me, and helped me up. The glory held me up just long enough that I had the strength to stand. Jesus said. Now, Roberts, stop crying. I want to give you a visit from heaven today because I love you very much. When Jesus told me that He loved me, those tears started to flow even more. He says. No need to cry, but a face full of joy, that's what would make me happy. Then he laughed and I joined him. He stretched out his hand and wiped away my tears with his finger. I stood there for a while, gazing at everything, looking more closely at the universe around me. The beauty of the place amazed me. We don't have the right words here on earth to describe such beauty. Then we began to walk towards the door. When we got near her, she rose up into the air by herself. He hadn't pressed a button or used a key to open it. The door had simply risen as we walked towards it and walked through it. Streets of Gold When we walked through the door, the first thing I noticed in heaven were the golden streets and their golden sidewalks. The sidewalks were lined with beautiful flowers in all the colors of the rainbow. The perfection of all this beauty gave me a shock. All of a sudden, I realized I was in the golden streets of heaven. I looked at the ground and ran like mad towards the grass. I don't know why, but I found it inappropriate to walk these golden streets. Jesus turned to tell me something but I was gone. I was standing on the grass, on the edge of the street, my eyes wide, my mouth open in surprise. Jesus asked, what are you doing there? I replied with two words, golden streets. I stared at these streets. In some places the street looked like gold on earth, like gold in jewelry, but in other places it was transparent like crystal. In some places on the street you could see through it and it looked like there was no bottom or end at all. Jesus laughed. 
he was laughing so hard that I thought he was never going to stop. He motioned to me and said, come here. I didn't want to disobey him, but I replied, but I can't walk these streets. They are made of gold. Something made me think that it was improper to walk on streets of gold. Jesus kept calling me, go, come. He came over to where I was standing to lead me back to the street. These streets were made for my brothers and sisters, he told me. You are my brother, so enjoy it. It was there that I learned that everything in heaven has a purpose. Nothing is there just for the decor. These golden streets were made to be walked on, not just to be looked at. We do not float here and there in heaven we walk. Some people get weird ideas about what the sky is. Some believe it to be filled with little naked baby angels floating here and there on clouds, wearing a halo above their head and casually playing the harp. I did not see a single halo or a single naked baby angel floating on a cloud during the entire time I was in heaven. The sky is not like that at all. The sky is more like the earth than anything else. The two worlds have a lot in common. It's a bit like the common denominators in math. They are the same, yet different. Despite this similarity to the earth, some things are very different from the earth's atmosphere. That's wonderful. The air, when you breathe it in, seems to come straight into you and pass through your being. The air is thick and powerful. He is charged with energy by the life of God. This life is perpetually present and flows continuously like a gentle breeze. It is difficult to explain exactly what nature is the air in the sky. You know how, sometimes when you pray for you, you have a holy goosebumps feeling that covers your whole body. Or sometimes you feel like a current flowing through you, or you can feel a pleasant warmth. Whenever the wind from heaven blows on you, it gives you a feeling of this order. The air from the sky has substance. He is alive. There are also clouds in the sky. This is the next thing that I really noticed. You cannot fail to see them. They are luminous, luminous, luminous. They are not little fluffy clouds like we see above the earth. They are not atmospheric clouds. They are supernatural clouds. Very often people speak of the cloud of glory which comes to invade a cult. The clouds of the sky are the clouds of glory. The clouds that we have above the earth were, no doubt, made after the glory clouds of the sky but those found above the earth are far from equaling the clouds of the sky in perfection. There are many things in heaven that are similar to the things we have on earth. There is a good reason for this, the earth was created after the model of the sky. If we could go back to the earliest days of the earth's creation, to the beginning of the Garden of Eden, we would find that they looked a lot like heaven. Just as we were made in the image of God, the earth was made in the image of heaven. There was a time when the two were basically the same. Genesis I. Then the devil made his intrusion with all his evil forces and perverted the perfection that God had originally planned for us. Really, there shouldn't be much difference between the two worlds. The New Testament tells us that there is one family in heaven and on earth. Ephesians 3, 14-15 says. Because of this I bow my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom all the family in heaven and on earth take their name. It does not say that there is a family in heaven and a totally different family on earth. There is one family, the same family, and in heaven and on earth. We are all part of the same family. If we walk in the realm of the Spirit, we can live as our family in heaven. We can walk full of faith, peace, love and joy like them every day. But it is not necessary for us to go to heaven to live this way. We can also walk and talk with Jesus here on earth. Jesus is a person who wants to walk with us and talk to us. He wants to do it. He is our friend. He is not a God. Lost in the far beyond, as some think. If we realize that He also lives here, in us, we would walk with Him, talk to Him and listen to Him much more. Jesus and I continue to walk. 
What I noticed next was a woman coming down the street bouncing like a ball. To me, she felt like she was bouncing back. I don't know why she was bouncing, but it was what she was doing. The life of God is so much a reality in heaven, there is no antagonistic force at all. It is total freedom. It is complete peace, complete joy, complete love. There is nothing in this world that is holding you back. Maybe that's why she was bouncing back. She was so free. We don't know what it's like to live in a world without an opposing force. As long as we are on earth, there will be opposition. But if you walk and get into the realm of spirit, the opposition won't bother you that much. If you step into the realm of spirit, you can live in a world of freedom. This woman was free and she followed her path while bouncing. Then she walked into what looked like a small store. I don't know if you could exchange money there for things or if it was something else, but she entered the shop with a small package and came out with a book. That there are books in heaven doesn't seem so strange to me. After all, our names are written in the book of life, Revelation 21 27. Elsewhere we are commanded to write clearly the vision given to us, Habakkuk 2, 2. There are many books that God has commanded to write. Most of the books that have been written are good books. But these are books that were written to be written. God was not really involved in it. Someone had an original idea, wrote a book and saw that it was making money. So many books have been written for this reason. These kinds of books, you won't find them in heaven. They won't last long. The books in heaven are those that were written at the behest of God. God wants certain drunken ones to be written so that we have a better understanding of Him and His kingdom. We need to have more books written at the command of God today. Those whom God has not commanded to write will hardly bear His anointing. There are still many books that need to be written. They're out there in the spirit world, waiting for somebody to bring them down to earth. By the Spirit, you can take these books, bring them to earth, and write them down. Some people have been commissioned by God to write certain books and they don't want to do it. Some are too lazy to write them down. Others feel incapable, think they don't know how to go about writing a book, or don't have the anointing to write. As you grow and mature, God will give you an anointing to write on if He has given you this task. He always equips His people to accomplish the task to which He has called them. The books that are written by the Spirit are eternal. They will be in heaven because they will last forever. They will have the perfect revelation of God within them even though they have come through the imperfect vessels that we are. I watched this woman continue on her way, bouncing with her book. Then she turned around a corner and I stopped seeing her. A heavenly home. Jesus said to me, Come. I want to show you a number of things. We walked down these magnificent golden streets and, turning right, came out into another street. We went up it and there, in front of us, stood an enormous house dominating the trees. It was a heavenly home. We went up a dirt road. I wanted to lift the dust with my feet just like any kid would, expecting the dust to fly. But she didn't move. Not a speck of dust rose from the path. She stayed on the floor like she was glued to it. It always makes women happy to learn that they won't have to fight with the dust in the sky. You won't need your dusting rags there high. Jesus and I walked home. All the while, he kept talking to me. When we got to the door, he stopped talking to me, turned and knocked on the door. There I was really surprised. I figured, I guess, he was just going to go through the wall or something like that. But the people of heaven are polite and have manners. They are not weird or rude. They don't walk into someone's house uninvited, floating in the air and going through walls. Nobody floats here and there in the sky, anyway. Jesus knocked on the door of that big house and we stood there waiting. No one came to open it, so he knocked again. Finally a man opened the door, poked his head outside and said. Oh hello. How are you, Jesus? What about you, Roberts? Jesus answered, I am well. I stood there, stunned. 
there were many things in heaven that surprised me and made my religious ideas explode. I was about to run away when this man mentioned my name. I couldn't understand how he could know who I was. I thought that no one except Jesus knew my name. I later found out that everyone I met in heaven knew my name. They will know yours too. I looked at this man and said, well, I'm fine. He gestured and said, come in. We entered his house. The floor was carpeted, and as we walked on it, it was as if that carpet was alive. I felt it circulate around my feet and then go up all the way up my legs. It was such a strange feeling, but I loved it. We entered a room that looked like a study. We sat down on a small sofa. It was entirely different from any sofa I have sat on earth. Seats on land are sometimes very uncomfortable. You sit down and move your body all the time to try and find a comfortable position. It's not like that in heaven at all. In heaven, comfort finds you. He comes towards you and embraces you. As I sat on what looked like a black velvet sofa, comfort touched me and enveloped me. He looked like he was alive. I felt so comfortable. Not once did I have to move to find a comfortable position. I could have sat there, on that couch all day, in total comfort, without moving a single time. There were other people in the room and we began to talk about the things of the Spirit. We talked about Adam and how he stopped God's action through sin. We talked about what prompted God to choose men like Moses, Enoch, Joseph, and others to be used by God at particular times when His Spirit worked. People asked questions in a simple way, like in a normal conversation. We talked about the parallel life of heaven and earth. Everything happens in the realm of the Spirit before being realized in the natural world. The intercessors know what I'm talking about. You have to bring something into the realm of Spirit first and continue to believe for its realization in the natural world. It is faith that brings it into the natural. While we were talking, we were served a large fruit. It looked like a big apple, but it wasn't. It was delicious, probably the most delicious thing I have ever tasted. Yes, there will be food in heaven, and it will begin with the wedding supper of the Lamb. After we had finished eating and talking, we took our leave and left. We left the house. She was huge. It looked exactly like an earthly house, except that it was completely perfect. Curtains hung from the windows, just like you would see on earth. There was furniture in the house. Pictures were hung on the walls and there were plants here and there. The house was filled with several luxuries, and I could not identify some items. Animals in the sky. As I walked a few small hills, I noticed other things relating to the sky. There are animals in the sky. There are all kinds of animals, all species from A to Z. Although animals do not have a human spirit, they are still part of the work of the hand of God. God doesn't give animals more importance than humans, to be sure, but they seem to be important to the kingdom. Animals are mentioned throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Adam even had the privilege of naming them all, Genesis 2, 19,20. One animal even spoke in the Bible, Balaam's donkey, Numbers 22, 28-30. In the New Testament, Jesus sends for a colt to carry it to Jerusalem, Luke 19:30. It was again on a horse that Jesus came out of heaven at the end of time, Revelation 19:11. That's why, even though I don't quite understand why, it wasn't such a big surprise to me to see that there were animals in the sky, because I had read so much about animals. In the Bible. I saw a dog and a baby goat, a kid. The birds are singing continuously there. I saw big birds and little birds hovering in the trees. After singing for a while, it almost seemed like they were talking to each other. It was definitely something unusual for me. There were other animals in the sky, but I saw them from a distance, so that I could not identify them. Animals did not run away from people. They weren't trying to attack people either. They were quiet, peaceful, and only roamed freely. No one was afraid of them. 
you would think you would be scared if a lion came near you. You don't have that fear in heaven. Fear does not exist in heaven. The presence of God is so strong that fear, confusion, doubt, sickness or worry is absent. As we walked, I noticed the trees in the sky. Again, they are similar to what we have on earth, but much more perfect. The leaves of the trees swayed, dancing and praising the Lord. They began to do it frantically. You would have thought that a great wind was sweeping the square, the way those leaves were waving. There was not a single discolored leaf or a single broken branch on any of the trees. There was no rotten or damaged fruit either. The grass I walked on was green, but it didn't look like any green you would have seen on earth. This is the essence of the color green. The grass was very soft, because it too was alive. She reminded me of something from the carpet in the house I had just visited. Life flowed from the grass. After I stepped on it, she straightened up perfectly. My footsteps disappeared immediately. All the blades of grass were the same size and length. Grass never needed to be mowed. Women are happy when they hear that there will be no dust in the sky. When I say the grass does not need to be mowed, men rejoice. Jesus and I become friends. Jesus and I became best of friends as we walked across the sky together. We were very comfortable with each other. We were walking while talking freely about different things. We were talking about things that have happened through time and things yet to come. Every now and then we would stop and he would show me things from heaven. Nothing could have prepared me for what I saw next. The Worship of Praise in Heaven A huge building appeared. It looked like some huge convention centers you see on earth. Thousands and thousands of saints entered inside this building. You would have thought, from the way everyone greeted each other, that this was a huge family reunion. Love flowed among these people. They hugged and kissed. People started to grab me by the hand and kiss me, saying, We're glad you're here, Roberts. We hope you will enjoy your stay. Not only did everyone know my name, they also knew that I was only visiting and that I was not going to stay permanently. It was strange. One word describes this worship of praise, love. Each was possessed of a spirit of love. They loved everyone, and they loved everything. They didn't care what you looked like or where you came from, they just loved, with unconditional love and no strings. Everyone was treated the same, with love. Everything they did and said was dictated by a motive of pure love. As soon as I was seated in the second row, a holy silence ran through the whole room. As I turned my head, I lived between five to six. A hundred singers come to the platform from the right side. We could have heard a pin drop past. Everyone was silent. No one apparently led these cantors, but all got in order. The cantors wore a very conventional choir-style outfit as seen in some sophisticated churches on earth. They wore beautiful dresses that rustled as they walked. Every hair on their head was perfectly in place. Everything was in perfect order. They all came up to the platform in a solemn procession. Then they smiled and began to praise God. All solemnity disappeared, they lost all resemblance to any organized choir I had seen in my life. Their hands went up, their voices were raised in praise, and their feet began to dance. It was a hundred times better than any worship service I have ever participated in on earth. They became wild in praise of their God. The audience praised with similar abandon. They were not ashamed to praise God with all their might. No one looked around to see what other people were doing. No one remained seated, either. Everyone was standing and moving. Some had their hands up, some didn't. Some were dancing, some were not. We were free to express ourselves as we wished. Nobody cared. No one was looking at you. Everyone had their full attention focused on praising God. Each person praised with their whole being. No one was wandering around here and there, impatiently waiting for the praise to hurry to end, as it often happens on earth. The people in heaven enjoy supernatural strength. 
you will never be tired in heaven. Hallelujah. Well, I was not dumb. I immediately returned to praise God, too. When I looked at Jesus, He was there, standing, smiling from ear to ear, fully appreciating. Verses. Look for Part 2. Continuation of Part 1. The praise and worship kept increasing in intensity and power. Everyone gave himself completely, 100% to God. They all took great pleasure in it. You could tell they liked it and, probably, they were eager to return to the next service. Praising God will be part of our job when we are in heaven, so we better start now. We praised and worshipped God for a long time. I don't know how long it lasted, because time passed so quickly. But suddenly the praise began to subside and everyone again became very quiet as at the start of the meeting. Then the choir lined up from the platform and everyone started to leave the building. The worship service was over. Jesus is crying. Jesus and I left the worship service, and He said to me, We have other things to see now. I couldn't wait to see what else there was to see. I was so happy and so excited. I looked up to Jesus with a big smile on my face. Only, He didn't smile back at me. He was crying. Tears of intercession flowed from Him. I know the Bible says there will be no more tears in heaven. These were not tears of sadness or human emotion. They were tears of intercession. Jesus said to me, Roberts, I love my people so much. Why don't people believe me? I love them so much that I would even go back to earth to preach my three years again, die and go to hell all over again if only I thought that one more person would want to go to heaven because of it. I wouldn't even care whether they would get there, if I only thought that they would want to come, then I would do it all over again, even for the worst of sinners. I love my people so much. Why don't they want to believe my word? Don't they know that I have all the power in heaven and on earth to back up what I say? It's so easy. I made it so easy for people. If they just took me at my word, I would. I don't know why people say they believe that I will do something for them, but when it doesn't happen when they have decided, they start to doubt my word. If they only want to confidently believe that I will do it, then I will do it at the right time. Jesus wept over our unbelief. He intercedes for the unbelief of the people. I too cried because of the disbelief in my own city. I was only eight years old, but I already knew what unbelief was, and how much it hurt Jesus. I immediately made a commitment with Jesus to never doubt His Word and to let God be God. Now, every time I'm about to think or say something in doubt or unbelief, I remember the tears of intercession that rolled down Jesus' face. I don't want my unbelief to hurt Him deeply anymore. The River of Life Then Jesus and I visited the River of Life. I stood on the edge of the river and looked into the water. It seemed that the river had no bottom at all. It was only crystal clear water, as far as one could see. Jesus entered the water. I expected to see him sink right away, since the river apparently had no bottom. But he didn't sink. He walked in the water up to his knees and stood there, standing in the middle of the river. He waved his hand at me and said, Come on, come. I slipped into the water, concerned that there was no bottom. The least we can say is that it sounded strange. I started to walk towards Jesus and I had the very strange feeling of walking on water inside water. I did not sink. This water was alive. It had substance like no other water I have ever bathed in on earth. The river flowed gently. But she wasn't going around you, she was going right through you. Life can go through life. When this water passes through your body, it purifies you of any impurity or bad thing that remains from your earthly life. Then she replaces what she took away with life from heaven. The river of life takes away the old and puts the new in its place. I stood in the water, gazing at the trees on the banks of the river. The birds were singing in the trees. Everything was very peaceful. But suddenly, something totally unexpected happened to me. 
I never imagined such a thing happening even in my wildest dreams, but it did. While I was there, quietly standing, Jesus quickly stretched out his hand to me and threw me under the water. I jumped up and splashed it myself. Any kid does this naturally when a friend dips them in or splashes them in water. I splashed it by reflex. Then he splashed over me in his turn. We were standing in the middle of the river of life and we were having a water fight. It was on that day that Jesus became my best friend. When I returned to heaven, I would like to put a historical inscription there that would say, Here Jesus Christ became not only the Lord and Savior of Roberts Liarden, but also his friend. To me it really meant a lot that Jesus, the King of Glory, the Son of God, took time to play with me in the river of life. Jesus has been my best friend ever since. Now we walk and talk to each other all the time. Other friends can leave you, but Jesus will never leave you. When I hear a good joke, I can run to Jesus and share it with him, and hear him laugh. When he hears something funny, he tells me. Believe it or not, God has jokes to tell you if you are sensitive enough to listen to his voice. They are very funny, never boring. The Cloud of Witnesses The funniest thing I saw in heaven was the cloud of witnesses. Jesus and I walked past a wall and there in front of me was a multitude of people shouting and clapping. They were standing in what looked like the stands of a football stadium. Only, they were all looking outwards, towards the earth. I was seeing the great cloud of witnesses. Hebrews 12, 1 tells us something about them. So we too, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, cast off every burden and the sin that we have. Wrap so easily, let's run with perseverance in the career that is offered to us. This verse tells us that we have a race to run. As we embark on the course of life, this cloud of witnesses encourages us. They know what we are doing and they stand behind us 100%. If you could hear them with your natural ears, you would hear them clapping and screaming, Go! 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 It's good! You can do it! Go ahead! The great cloud of witnesses is interested in us. They are part of our family. If we pass into the realm of spirit and walk there, we will be aware of their presence. We will be the success they desire us to be, as we run our course, free and unburdened. The Throne Room The Throne Room of God was the next stop on our visit to heaven. Lightning flashed from behind the building and I heard voices and thunder coming from inside. The Throne Room is the largest building in the sky. According to some figures, it is about 28 kilometers long. I don't know the exact size, but it is huge. Everything is great in heaven, including the flowers. Seven rows of flowers lined the path leading to the door to the throne room. The color of the flowers was constantly changing, taking on all the hues of the rainbow, and every flower, bud and leaf were perfectly uniform in size. The building was decorated to perfection with all these beautiful flowers and beautiful trees. Standing, I watched it all, wondering what this place was. I didn't know it was the throne of God yet. Usually, I asked Jesus questions out loud and He answered me out loud. But this time, I just thought inwardly, wondering what this huge building was for. As I was thinking, without even saying anything, the answer came immediately. This is the throne room of God. I thought, he good. We continued to walk towards the entrance. Two warrior angels guarded the main door of the throne room. Each had a sword in their hand. The blades of these swords were flames of fire. The warehouses of the sky. After leaving the throne room, we came to some large warehouses. They were about 450 to 550 meters from the throne room. These buildings were very long and very wide from the kind of warehouses we see on earth today. I only saw three buildings although it was possible that there were others. We entered the first building. There was no lock on the door. It was always open, and you could walk in at any time. Jesus and I walked in and there I received another shock. 
But what is this place, I wondered. I was a little concerned because, looking around, I could only see different parts of the human body all over the building. In one side of this room there were limbs such as arms, legs, toes and fingers. In another side of the building, there were small packages of tightly packed eyes. I looked closer and all those eyes were staring at me, green eyes, blue eyes, brown eyes. You speak of a nervous shock. In another part of the building, there were different organs of the body including hearts, eardrums, kidneys, brains, etc. I have to say, it was the most unusual thing I have seen in heaven and I really didn't know what conclusion to draw from it. I turned to Jesus, an expression of curiosity on my face. He began to tell me about the healing ministry. These are all unclaimed blessings, he explained. This building contains the parts of the human body that someone on earth needs. This room should not be full. It should empty itself every day. People can come in here by faith and receive what they or someone else needs. But most people never do. That's why you see so many here. All the body parts that any sick person needs are waiting there in the storehouse in heaven. If you need a new eye, a new leg, a new heart, or a new eardrum, they're all there, and you can claim them. All you have to do is go in there by faith and take what you need. God will do supernatural surgery for you. It has everything you need. All of these unclaimed blessings await you. There is no other place in the universe that these spare parts could go, except to the people here on earth. No one else needs it. They are for saints and sinners without distinction. The doors of these warehouses are never closed. They are always open for those who need to enter. We should empty these rooms every day, Jesus told me. If you see a sick person, you can go in by faith and get what they need for them. We can be the running boys of God and give these unclaimed blessings to those who are willing to receive them. To those who want to receive the blessings, they are there to be taken. The Main Street of Heaven Heaven has a main street. We took her down after leaving the warehouses. It seems that people meet along this main street. People were walking, chatting with each other in all simplicity. Some formed small conversation groups. There was a lot of laughter and joy. As we were walking down the street, I met some of these people. Some of them were characters from the Bible, some great men and women in history. As for others, I didn't know anything about them. But a very interesting aspect of the sky is that there is absolutely no difference between famous people and anonymous people. All are equal. Paul or Moses, Esther or Mary could come by and no one would rack their brains about them or run after them to ask for an autograph like they were a movie star or someone like that. Another thing about these people is that they kept the personality they had on earth. You don't get rid of your personality when you go to heaven. We basically remain the same person we were on earth. We are not transformed into something that we are not. People don't walk around like little robots, clowns or puppets. If you had a strange character on earth, you will remain that same unique individual in heaven, in a more acceptable atmosphere. So, if you don't like your current personality, you had better change it because it will accompany you for eternity. Jesus consecrates me. As we walked, Jesus turned to me and took both of my hands in his. Then he placed one of his hands on the top of my head and said, Roberts, I am calling you to a great work. I consecrate you for a great work. You will have to run like no other, preach like no one, be different from everyone else. Hard times will come, but use them as stepping stones, not stumbling blocks. I'll be next to you everywhere you go. Go with power and faith. Your voice will not be heard as you or other men decide, but as I will decide. I put in you the fire that belongs to your generation. Goes like no other has gone. Go and act like I have done. VA, VA, VA. I felt like I was burning inside. The anointing and the fire began to flow from Jesus to enter me. 
it went from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Today, as soon as I speak of God, whether I speak to a person or to three thousand, He sets me ablaze with His fire. He made me His servant, a flame of fire, Hebrews 1, 7. Sometimes I get so hot that I literally sweat. This fire and this anointing consumes me inside. Sometimes my face and my hands turn crimson. We must have the fire of God within us. His fire will burn up all the evil and chaff that is in our lives, and make us pure and holy before Him. We cannot walk with God with sin in our life. If we do, we will be consumed by His glory and by His fire. If you let the fire of the Holy Spirit flow through you and make you pure, you will be able to walk boldly with God. With a pure heart and a pure mind, you will find that you can walk in His presence without being destroyed. After praying for me, Jesus took a step back. I looked at the palms of my hands. They were red as blood from the heat and the anointing. He began to show me things pertaining to my life and my ministry. I saw myself preaching in different places and I saw other things about my future. Some have already come true in my life and my ministry. Jesus also showed me things from my past although I didn't have much of a past. Then He showed me my life until the day I died. I am not afraid of dying. I want to return to heaven to live in my home and walk these golden streets again with Jesus, my best friend. One of the things the Lord showed me about my future was all the souls that He wanted me to win for Him. I knew the time had come for me to return to earth. I had souls to win for Him. The supreme miracle is when someone is born again. It is an even greater miracle than when someone is healed or raised from the dead because it is a miracle that takes place in a man's mind. I knew it was time to leave heaven and go and win more souls for the kingdom of God. After walking on these beautiful golden streets, I want everyone to get in there and be able to enjoy these streets too. Jesus and I headed for a door that was nearby. He hugged me and kissed me and I turned to leave. Roberts, I heard him say. I turned quickly and Jesus was standing there, tears streaming down his face, his hands reaching out to me. I love you, he said. With that, my visit to heaven came to an end. My responsibilities on earth would now begin. The Call and Covenant of God Being in heaven and walking with Jesus makes me hungry and thirsty like never before. Immediately after my trip to heaven, I entered my room one night and said to God, quite simply and categorically, God, I want the Holy Spirit with the sign of speaking in tongues, Acts 2, 4. Immediately I began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave me to speak. From that day on, I began to develop my language of prayer. So things really started to happen. When I was about 10 years old, I was in my room and Jesus entered. This surprised me at first. Jesus stretched out His hand, hugged me, and said several things to me, including words of encouragement. Then he came out the other side of the room and disappeared. It was the second time that I saw Jesus. The third time I saw Jesus was when I was 11 years old. I was sitting in the living room, watching Laverne and Shirley on the television. Suddenly, Jesus entered through the front door of our house, and came to sit next to me on the sofa. He glanced at the television and it was when everything in this natural world died out. I couldn't hear the TV, or the phone if it rang, or anything else. All I heard was Jesus, and all I saw was His glory. First, He asked me a question. Do you want to preach for me? He asked. I knew that if I said yes it would mean that a lot of plans in my life would be changed. The plans that I had formed and that others had established for me should be put aside. I knew this. But I answered Jesus without hesitation. Yes, I replied, I will preach for you. I died that day to my own wishes and to those that others had for me. That's the price you have to pay to have spiritual power. All the people who have walked closely with God, all the people who have seen the power of God work in their life and ministry have one thing in common, at one point or another in their life they have died in themselves. 
so Jesus was alive in them with a greater resurrection. Until we are dead to ourselves, He cannot be fully master and fully resurrected in our lives. This is why John the Baptist said, He must increase and I must decrease, John 3:30. It is there. Key to real life. After I said I would preach for Jesus, He gave me an order. He says. Roberts, I want you to study the lives of the generals of my Grand Army throughout history. Know them inside out. Find out why they were successful and find out why they failed. If you do this, nothing will fail you in this area. Jesus finished giving me his command, got up and came out the door. The television set reappeared, as did Laverne and Shirley. Generals of God. Jesus gave me the task of studying the lives of God's generals. Since that time, I have carefully studied the lives of great ministers of God of the past and of some today, others as well, unknown, to find the reasons for their success or failure. I began by reading a book on Smith Wigglesworth that my grandmother had given me. Then I studied the life and ministry of men and women such as Alexander Dowie, Charles Finney, Maria Woodworth Eder, John G. Lake, Amy Semple M.C. Ferson, Catherine Coleman and many others. While I was reading a book, the Holy Spirit was teaching me. He was showing me what the different people were like. He said, Did you notice that? Did you notice how they said that? How did they deal with me in this way? He was reconstructing the scene for me. He said, This is how it went. He was showing me so much about these people. Jesus wants to show us the things of the Spirit. He taught me how to act and walk continually in the realm of the Spirit. He is my friend and we walk and talk together. Jesus promised me certain things on the day he came to my house. He said, Roberts, if you're faithful I'll promote you. The Bible says you have to be faithful in the little things first before He gives you more responsibility. I had to give up the television set. I had to turn my back on school sports. I had to leave everything, even my best friends. I had to do all that was required of me to follow God, so that I could fulfill the function He had prepared for me. It wasn't easy, but it was worth it. Jesus promised me something else the day He entered my living room. He says that if I was faithful in studying the generals of the past, I would have the responsibility of meeting the great generals of today. God kept His promise. He put me in touch with several of them. I learned a lot from them. If we do things God's way, there are things He will achieve in your life. They will come true in their time and everything will work together for our good, everything. God has a calendar. In the Bible, you will notice that few people were worried about. In relation to time. The great men and women whose lives I studied knew how to act according to God's calendar. We can learn a lot from these great men and women who are now with the Lord. Part of my ministry is telling people how they have succeeded and how they have failed. If we know this, we can avoid the devil's traps and live the way God wants us to live. The devil sets traps. He is cunning and clever. He comes to steal, steal and destroy. Most Christians spend most of their time running away from the devil. I discovered that the great preachers of the past never shied away from the devil. They were going to meet him. They weren't afraid of anything. That's what made them giants in the kingdom of God. Where are the giants and generals of God today? Where is the power, the visions, the dreams and the ecstasies that everyone talks about endlessly? Why doesn't the miraculous power of God continually flow from our hands? Where are the giants such as Wigglesworth, Coleman and Finney? Prostitutes came to Sister McPherson's meetings in a horrible state of illness. In five minutes or less, not knowing a single thing about God, they were completely healed. And yet Sister McPherson never touched them. What she had we don't see much of today. Where is the power that was manifested through his ministry? Once a man with empty eye sockets was brought to one of his meetings. He didn't believe, but not at all, what she was doing. However, at the insistence of his friend who had brought him to the meeting, 
He lined up for prayer. Sister McPherson placed her thumbs in the empty eye sockets. When she withdrew her hands, new eyes appeared in the man's sockets. Catherine Coleman walked up to the stage, and for the next three hours miracles were happening all over the room. And I am not talking about small miracles. I'm talking about large-scale miracles, such as paralytics who jumped out of their wheelchairs and walked, tumors that fell from people's bodies, blind eyes that saw and deaf people who heard, withered arms that grew back, I talks about this kind of miracles. Today, most of the time, we only hear about such wonderful miracles. But God is still looking for generals. He's looking for people who want to stand up and say, Lord, here I am. Send me. Use me. Walk like soldiers in the army of God. We have to go through the realm of the Spirit to get that kind of power. If you walk with God, similar miracles and power will flow through you. God is calling people, young and old, to obey His voice and move in the realm of the supernatural. Then we will be able to occupy the strategic positions that He has planned for us in His army. I believe with all the fibers of my being that if you pay the price to obey God, you will reach the realm of the Spirit where you will see a powerful and permanent flow of the power of God. No matter what doubt or confusion exists around you, no matter the extent of the persecution, you will have enough power to move forward. You will see powerful miracles just like those that generals of the past witnessed. God still needs generals in His army today. He needs those who have been trained to stand firm and say, this is the way. Walk there. The army of the Lord begins to march at the final cadence. Will you not join the troops of God? I have since decided. A long time to do it. As I obeyed Jesus and began to study the lives of generals, I made the decision to want to be like them. I was determined to preach and see miracles. The only problem was, no one in the world had heard of me. No one came and hammered my door, begging me to come and preach to them. In fact, my first sermons were not addressed to people. They were addressed to the walls of my room. That is true. Before anyone heard me preach, I was preaching to my walls. I stuck a world map on a wall and preached and prayed on it. I lay my hands on this map, look at different countries and say. World, open up. I arrive. Doors, I command you to open to me in the name of Jesus. I come. Some say I was weird doing this. But it did. I have already preached in several nations of the world and this is only the beginning. I was doing another thing that seemed really strange to many. I spoke to my diary and declared it full. I didn't have a single invitation to preach, but I was starting to sow for the day when I knew I would have invitations. I began to send offerings to other ministries like Kenneth Hagen, Oral Roberts, and Jerry B. Walker. I prayed over these offerings before I put them in the mail. I was praying. Lord, what I'm doing is for when I need it. I don't need it now, Lord, but I know it will come. So I am now sowing for my ministry. People can call me crazy if they want to. But it worked. My schedule started to fill up while I was still in high school. I remember we were in math class one day, in the fifth hour. I was seated on the last chair in the third row. I was doing homework, and my ear started to ring. At first I thought it was a bug and shook my head, but the noise didn't stop. My ear kept ringing. Suddenly I knew that this ringing I heard was the wind of the Spirit of God. He said to me, Tonight, I am going to breathe in your meeting of young people and I will answer your prayer and their hunger. I knew exactly what it meant. I had prayed for our youth group. All they could find to talk about was sex, flirting, and marriage. I wanted to talk about God. At home, we talked about God. We prayed and we knew God at home. But most of our church youth group sure didn't know Him. How excited I was to go to the youth group that night. I couldn't wait to be there to see what was going to happen. I knew I was finally going to see something similar to what I had read when I was studying generals. 
When I arrived at the meeting that night, a rushing breath entered the room and pinned me to the floor. I couldn't have got up, even if I wanted to. Then, all over the room, people also began to fall under the action of the Spirit. I heard them fall with a thud all around me. We stayed there, lying flat, for a while. Finally, I heard someone say. Hey, can you move your fingers? We were all stunned by the Holy Spirit. Things changed after that in my youth group, I'm telling you. Duh. Young people started to be really serious about God. It was great. Miracles at school. I went to a secular school until the first one. Crazy things happened in this school. I remember I was once sitting in class reading a book about Catherine Coleman about miracles. I should have listened to the professor, but I wasn't. He was the sports coach, and he talked endlessly about the football team or something like that. Really, I didn't take much interest in what he was saying. I found it boring, so I picked up my book and started reading about miracles. Suddenly the professor bellowed. Roberts, what are you doing? I couldn't lie, so I looked up from my book and replied. I'm reading a book on Catherine Coleman, sir. God works miracles through her. Everyone laughed and he sneered, giving me this challenge, well, if your God works miracles, why doesn't he heal my leg? Before I could realize what I was doing, I replied aloud. Shut up and sit down, and you will see. I went to the front of the classroom and asked him to sit in front of his desk so that I could pray for him. I wanted everyone in this room to see God work a miracle. His little chair had casters and I pushed him over to his desk. You could have heard a pin drop to the ground. No one in this room was moving or making any noise. All I thought as I leaned over my teacher was. Well, my God, here we are. I tell him to lift his legs. One was obviously shorter than the other. Anyone could see it and I got excited because I knew I knew, that I knew God was going to lengthen that leg. I knelt down to pray for him. For a second that seemed like an eternity, however, I cried out to God inside. Oh God, don't give up on me now. We need a miracle right here, oh God. Help me. God works his miracle. There, in front of everyone, the professor's leg was extended. As it increased in length, people started to jump and climb onto their chairs to get a better look at what was going on. No one bothered me after that. Better, my teacher gave me an A for his subject. Some of my classmates even stood in line by my locker room and asked me to pray for them, especially when they had a test during the next class. I prayed for them, they were all falling under the power of the Spirit and I was the only one standing in the hallway. When I went to a Christian high school, I started to really grow and learn more from the Word of God. During my final year class, the alarm clock went off in our school. The opposition to. We had worship twice a week, and once the power was so strong that we closed the school for half a day. It was pretty hard to run a school like that, I guess. Once, during the first hour class, the teacher asked me to come and share something. I started to speak, but the rows of students all fell like dominoes, one after the other. There was no one who remained seated or standing. I turned to ask the professor what I should do. I was the only one who was left standing. The bell rang. I looked around, wondering. God, what should I do now? I gathered my books, walked out the door to my next class, and left them there, all lying on the floor. I don't know what the class who entered afterwards thought. With all of these supernatural things happening all the time, my calendar started to fill up. I was only 16 years old, but I started to travel all over the country, holding meetings. One day my mother gave me some advice. She sat me down and said, are you ready for what all this will entail? She was trying to make me aware of the natural side of things. I was flying high in the spirit and she wanted me to realize that ministry also involved a lot of hard work. 
My mom gave me a balance that I really appreciate. Life is not all about spirituality. There are natural things to take care of as well. Some people get so super spiritual in a bad way that they become flake. They burn, consume and disappear. There is a man these days who hosts several televised debates and who at one time was a child evangelist. His family stuffed him with spiritual things. He hated it more and more and left the ministry. Today, he regularly speaks and mocks God in front of millions of viewers. I'm sure part of the reason it happened to this man is because he wasn't really walking in the realm of the Spirit. He may have done so-called spiritual things, but it is more than likely that they were done by the arm of the flesh. This invariably leads to failures. If we walk in the realm of the Spirit, we will never fail in anything. The Life of the Spirit Just as I was ordered to study the failures and successes of generals, the Lord also told me to study, preach, and teach what I call the life of the Spirit. I like to encourage others to walk in the realm of the Spirit. It's the best life there is. When you lean on the Spirit in everything you do, you are assured success. You can be aware of the presence of God at all times. God and you can walk together like friends every day, because He lives inside of you. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? I Corinthians 3:16. Successful Christians and servants of God are those who are aware of God all the time. Not a moment goes by that they are not aware that God is with them. When you are aware of the presence of God in your life, you do not want to say or do anything that would sadden the Spirit of God. I will never forget the first time I was truly aware that I had grieved the Spirit of God. When I was very young, I used to gather all the kids in the neighborhood to distribute leaflets. I always took leaflets with me. One morning, as I walked to the school bus stop, a boy I knew was standing there. He wasn't one of the nicest kids in the neighborhood. As I walked to the bus stop, I heard the Spirit say to me, Go talk to him about me. I became frozen. I was afraid of this boy and the reaction he would likely have if I showed him. So I didn't speak to him. I started to cry because I knew I had grieved the Holy Spirit. But I still don't tell him anything. It was awful. I was so saddened that the Holy Spirit was so saddened. I later repented and made a commitment not to grieve the Holy Spirit again with such disobedience. If we surrender to the Spirit, we will be able to walk in the realm of the Spirit. We will enjoy the blessings of the life of the Spirit. If you have been born again and the life and nature of God have become a part of you, you can walk in the realm of the Spirit and enjoy it. You won't understand what defeat is. God never knew defeat, so why you? If you are led by the Spirit, which is in you, He will lead you to victory every time. The only thing the Spirit understands is victory. He doesn't know what it's like to lead people to defeat. Fellowship with the Spirit keeps you from dangerous waters. It will keep you in the middle of the road, out of the ruts of life, on the right or on the left. I can tell you why I passed by each time I passed by. I hadn't listened to my mind. My mind was saying, no, 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 but my head was saying yes, yes, yes. When your mind says no, no, no you better listen to your mind. The voice of the Spirit will tell your spirit what to do. Tell your mind to be quiet and listen to what the Spirit of God inside you is trying to tell you. The Bible tells us that we should be imitators of God. It doesn't mean that we are God, but it does mean that we have some of His abilities. The things of the Spirit are eternal. We can know how the realm of Spirit works. We should live like Enoch. Enoch lived in the Spirit and it pleased God. His testimony is that he pleased God. We should have the same testimony. We can if we want to pay the price. This price differs for each person. You have to give up anything that wants to hold on to you and die to yourself. Whether it's the 2 p.m. melodramatic soap opera or the morning newspaper, a car, a house, a bad relationship or eating ice cream, whatever is holding you back in bondage, get rid of it. In.
then you will begin to be able to walk in the realm of the Spirit. Give yourself completely to God. Walk like Enoch. Draw close to God and you too will find yourself walking with God like the best friends there is. You too can live being aware of God every day of your life. Make heaven your home. To this day, God has entrusted me with a threefold mission in my life and in my ministry, to tell the story of heaven, study His generals, preach the life of the Spirit. As I am faithful and accomplish these three things that He has asked me to do, I know that I will make Him happy. I know that I will walk in victory if I am obedient to Him. A relationship with God is the best thing we can ever have in life. It's great to walk and talk with Him, and that's why I'm telling this story, so that you want to walk and talk with God as your friend too. If you don't know God as your friend, you can. If you want to make the sky your home, you can. If you want Jesus Christ to come into your heart and be the Lord of your life, He will. However, it is a decision that only you can make. No one else can make this decision for you. I cannot do it for you. I can only tell you that I know that it really is the best life ever. Do you remember what Jesus told me? He said if He only knew a person that would go to heaven, He would die again for them if He could. You see, Jesus has already died for you to forgive your sins. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in Him may not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to have the world saved by Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned. He, she who believes in the Son has eternal life. Jesus loves you and wants you to have eternal life that only He can offer. If you ask Him to come into your life, He will make it beautiful. Not only that, but you can be assured that one day you too will be walking on streets of gold in heaven. Don't you want to ask Jesus to come into your heart today, if you've never done so? I know He touched you as you read this book. He wants you to know Him personally. You only have to say this prayer and you will be saved and become a friend of Jesus. Romans 10, 9-10 says. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing that one achieves justice and it is by confessing that one achieves salvation. Say this prayer. Lord, have mercy on me who have sinned. Save me. Forgive me my sins. I ask you to come into my heart and into my life. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the dead to give me new life. I want you to be my friend and the Lord of my life. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I'll serve you every day of my life. 